All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fucking avians? This is Mark Marin. That's me. Did I mention Vince Gilligan is on the show today? Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Breaking Bad, arguably the best fucking television show ever. I've never been so compelled and engaged in a TV show in my life. I miss it. There's shows I, I miss The Sopranos. I miss um, The Wire and Breaking Bad now. But I've been watching Better Call Saul, which is uh, Vince's new show, which is also amazing. Bob Odenkirk is doing an incredible job in the, in the acting department, as is Michael McKean and the supporting cast. But, uh, but yeah, that, I, he's a genius in my mind, and I was nervous to, uh, to talk to him. I'd not, I didn't do any real research around how he talked or or even what he looked like necessarily before he came over. And I was, I was nervous. Like I was nervous when I met uh, Paul Thomas Anderson because these guys in my mind are, are fucking geniuses. And I thought he'd be some dark wizard, but he's just a pleasant, smart, polite Southern dude. Had a great conversation. I, I love meeting people who I think are wizards and they're, and they're, they're, they're humble and human and, and just uh, great to talk to. So Vince Gilligan, that's today. It's going to happen momentarily. All right, okay, also, before I forget, tonight on Marin, on IFC, me and my old friend, Sam Cedar, co-star. I made good on it, all right? Me and Sam go way back. There's a very exciting, tense, aggravated, comedic dynamic, and it's a very fun show. Sam comes out to help me with the patent troll problem, and that's, that's, and then it just gets kooky. It's funny. It's funny to see us together, and I had a great time. That's at uh, 10 o'clock tonight on IFC, uh, me and Sam Cedar on the new Marin. Okay? Dave Anthony's there, too. All right? Dave Anthony's there. He, he'll be there. Okay? He's, he's there being creepy. All right. So I, I, I just need to say that because sometimes I forget to plug my own show. Okay. Done. Oh, somebody asked uh, for me to, um, to give you a cat update. Uh, I forget that there's ongoing narratives in my life that I just leave hanging. And uh, I do have some updates. I do have some updates on the cats. Monkey, uh, I last night, see, this is really when you know that you're too in, entrenched in the cats, in the cat world, in, in cat life. Uh, I was Last night, Sarah was over, the painter. And we're about to go to sleep, and... And something smells. And I thought, you know, sadly, for a moment, I thought it, it might be my balls because I hadn't showered in a couple of days. And I, I'm sorry if that's too much information. But, you know, guys, you know, you, you pick up a little, you sweat a lot. It's hot out. Either my armpit. It, I just thought it was me. How is that better? Can we just put it that way? And then, you know, I'd eaten some ceviche. So it was a bad combination. You know, so I, I thought a mixture of the, the, the fish and the balls and, you know, my sweat. And I, I, I blame myself. Now, there's been a cat pee smell problem in the house in my bedroom for a while and i just haven't been able to track it i knew it was by the hamper i didn't know if monkey was peeing on the hamper around the hamper but last night it became very clear that uh that monkey was peeing on the curtains somehow skillfully in the corner of the room and on the curtains now this might be because scaredy cat the wild feral might be shitting and peeing under my house, right under my bedroom. So monkey's picking up that smell and you decide that's a good place to go. Because usually cats, they 
they start doing that shit when they don't feel well. But Monkey's never seemed better. He's eating. He's got energy. He's excited. He's very warm. He's a nice cat. But he's just peeing in my bedroom. I've been sweeping in a room that smells like cat piss for months. And Sarah has like eight or nine cats that she feeds. She has cats in her life. They're all wild, most of them. But but we're just like, we're those people? Like we, didn't, we, we couldn't track it? It wasn't bothersome enough for us to fucking track it? And then there was this other smell, which I assumed was me. And I, and I woke up at 5.30 in the morning obsessed. I had to get rid of the curtains. I had to like clean down everything. I got to go buy some of that, you know, don't pee here spray. But then I found some fucking cat shit, fresh, fresh cat shit behind the hamper. I blame myself. I mean, could I have possibly smelled like, you know, months worth of cat urine and a fresh cat shit? Like I blame my balls for that. That's ridiculous. I mean, I know that, you know, humans smell, but nonetheless, some heavy cleaning went down. Some curtains had to go. The hampers got to go. I had to do some cleaning of the floor. I got to figure out what's going on. I don't know. I, I do think that window where the hamper is and where that area is the only place that monkey sees the cats outside. And that's a fine transition to the cats outside. Scaredy cat, the striped cat, the wild cat, whose face was ripped up at one point in time, but has survived about a decade now. I've been feeding this cat. He's fine. He's around. He's fat. It's nice when the, the wild cats get fat. Um, big head. The big-headed black cat with the huge balls, he's still around, still got a big head. We got to trap him and get him fixed because God knows what he's done out there with the ladies. He comes around. He doesn't seem to know when to hiss or meow. Like he's seen, It's one of the only cats I, I've ever met that hisses when he's happy to see you. It's a, it's a confusing thing. He's a little nuts. He hisses, he meows, but he's excited. Uh, he's around. He looks lean. His head is huge. Balls are huge. Frame tight. Nice cat, though. Clearly somebody's cat who is neglecting him. Deaf black cat, the hero, the mystic, the, the, the true survivor, the warrior, back around. I see him hanging out. I watched him approach the bowl last night. Now, for those of you who are just listening to the show, I've had a relationship with this cat on and off for a few years now. It's a wild cat. Can't hear a fucking thing. Nothing. Deaf as fuck. And lives out there among coyotes and other wild cats and disappears for months at a time. And right when I think he's gone, he's dead. How could he not be? He's deaf. Boom. There he is on the deck cleaning himself. Takes a lot for him to approach the bowl because he's got to fight skunks. There's one baby skunk left of a skunk litter out there that seems to be lingering. He was abandoned. I guess this is his neighborhood. I don't know what, how don't, I don't know how skunks work. Also, a side note. Thank you for all the, uh, the uh, information about birds, about those junky birds that are the hijacking my hummingbird feeder. I believe we're going with hooded Oriole. A lot of uh, emails and tweets with pictures. Seems to me an ornithologist. Is that what they are? Is that the right one? The birds? Ornithologist? Is that it? I'm going to go with that because I'm not going to Google anything. I hope that's right. And that's not like some sort of specific type of cancer doctor. Uh, hooded Oriole. I think you're right. Hooded Oriole. Bad word for me with my rolling L's and my inability to say R's or S's. Phew. Is it too late for speech therapy? Vince Gilligan, just a few minutes. Um, I did want to share something with you. Can I? Can I share, share something with you? I don't know when one becomes funny. I know that I was pretty funny and disruptive in school, but I don't like. I don't know if I was always funny. You know, I know I was a somewhat sensitive kid. I know I was a gregarious kid, precocious even, annoying to adults. But my, my father's sister, Linda, 
my aunt Linda, who I don't see that side of the family much, they live down the Jersey Shore, and I'm I'm not that in touch with them, which is sad, but it's my fault. They came to see me at at the Red Bank show in Jersey, and she sent me a couple emails afterwards, uh, and I hadn't talked to her in a long time, and you know I love them, they're my cousins and my aunt, but I just don't I don't see them. I'm detached. I'm not as connected to family as some other people are, or perhaps that I should be. But but the, she shared these two. <laughs> These two stories that I will share with you. This is very old material. This is very old Mark Marin material. And these are these are emails from my Aunt Linda. Dear Mark, do you remember when my parents lived in a two-family house in Jersey City? That would be my grandparents, obviously. The Olgan family lived upstairs and we could hear them going up and down the stairs. You were about three and you would ask what the noise was. Your grandma and grandpa would say, it's the Olgans. <laughs> One day, the Olgans... Stop by to say hello. When you were introduced, you exclaimed joyfully, the Olgans are people. I always smile when I remember that story. You never know what kids are thinking, love Linda. The Olgans are people. Solid tag. Solid tag. I told her I love that story, so she sent me another one. Dear Mark, do you also remember your grandma and grandpa buying you tickets to the circus in New York every year? You were scared of the clowns. Then one day you asked them if they loved you. They said that they certainly did. Then you asked them, then why do you keep taking me to the circus? Boom! You were certainly a lovable little guy. Solid tags. Man. You know what? Had I known, I would have just started writing comedy then. Had I known. I'm very proud of those stories, and I'm glad that uh, she sent them along. I didn't know I was afraid of clowns. I think that when people are afraid of clowns, from far away, clowns are okay, but it's when you see them up close and you can see the person inside the makeup. Like you can just see the human eyes and and some of the wrinkles under the clown makeup. You know, just the whatever you know, sad life led them behind that makeup, or or you assume that. But it's I think what really is the the fundamentally frightening thing about clowns is that when they get close enough that you can see the whites of their eyes and the human heart behind the clown makeup. That's terrifying again can't say enough about this guy huge fan of his work and uh and i was just uh, thrilled that he was such a, a sweet dude and very practical and very collaborative and willing to give uh you know other people credit it's just a, 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 a an amazing guy so let's talk to vince gilligan So you spend a lot of time in my hometown. I grew up in Albuquerque. Yes, you did, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And and you went to high school in uh, at Highland High. Highland school, High. And we shot a really memorable Breaking Bad scene in Highland High. You did? We did. Which one? I've seen all the Breaking Bads. Right on. It all was right. uh, uh, There was a scene at the beginning of season three, and in it, Walt is in his high school. He's still teaching there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's in the gym, and he's full of uh, people in the gym. That was the gym? Yeah, that was the I, gym. That, that's why I didn't recognize it. I don't think I ever set foot in there. Oh, okay. In the gym. I, yeah. I think maybe I went to one assembly. Yeah. Certainly no sporting in my uh, in my past. <laughs> Me neither. But, uh, but it's really bizarre to me because I had Cranston in here and it was one of the biggest regrets of my career mm-hmm. as an interviewer that I was so nervous and I was so uh, 
wanting to talk to Walter White, I think, for most of the interview. I, I just, I thought in right. my mind, yeah, yeah. but uh, but for some reason, once we got talking, he, he was intimidating to me, which he shouldn't be, because he's a very polite- Very sweet guy. Yeah, sweet yeah, guy. Yeah. I, I didn't mention Albuquerque once. Oh, yeah? Okay. So now, yeah, and I, I knew he had a house there, and, yeah. I, I, and I grew up there. We could have bonded personally- <laughs> blew it yeah. why uh well let's let's go back uh to to like who you are because you know i i'm a huge fan of breaking bad i'm oh, a huge you, fan man. of um uh better call saul i love i love bob and i've known him for years oh, yeah. and, right and you know breaking bad is one of those experiences you have like you know it's one of those things you turn people onto it like you would turn them onto meth if you were into <laughs> meth you know like what do you mean you haven't watched breaking bad what the fuck dude you gotta try it man you gotta fucking try it <laughs> not thank gonna, you thank you for that well they're not gonna get out thank you anyone, for proselytizing for, for, for sure man yeah. anybody who starts gets through anyone who watches two or three episodes of that and doesn't get hooked like i don't need to talk to that guy <laughs> Who the fuck needs that guy? <laughs> I love it. Thank but you. but like I but I can't say the same about the X Files. Right. Okay. Uh, and I know you come from the X Files. Yeah. Like I don't know why I never watched it uh, because I'm a fan of uh, of uh, well conspiracies more than sure sci fi. Sure. Sure. But I just never I never locked in. I guess I could. I mean, I've yeah. watched a couple. Eh, you know it. Uh, sometimes timing uh, counts for a lot too. Sometimes you you come to something at a point in your life and you're into it, and you might not have been into it a little bit earlier, a little right. bit later, or, right. or maybe it's just not your thing. I. But what now? How did you? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, Virginia. I was born in Richmond, and uh, then I, I lived for a big chunk of uh, of my formative years in a little town called Farmville, which is 65 miles west of Richmond. Really? And it and it really it's it's it might as well be named Mayberry, right? It's really? named Farmville. Yeah. And, and how old are you? I was uh, I am now uh, 48. All right. So, did, are you, are you, do you have siblings? Uh, yeah, I have a brother uh, Patrick, my brother Is Patrick. he older? He's 4 years younger than. Oh, me. younger. So yeah. you're the oldest. I'm the oldest of our of the two of us. It was it was on you. Yeah. To was. be the guy, to be the leader. <laughs> Where'd you lead that kid? Uh, I, I led him into a very different life than that. I I didn't lead him anywhere. Yeah. Oh, really? he, he was his own boss, uh, <laughs> and he's a he's a wonderful brother. But we're very different. He, yeah. What's yeah. what's his thing? He uh, well, he's just a, a great guy who's now a father, uh, and I am not a father. So now, for the first time at, at age like she's uh, about age forty six yeah. for me, I became an uncle for the first time. Oh, that's which exciting. Is wonderful. Uh, my brother uh, Pat and his uh, lovely wife Miho have a little daughter named Maya, Aww. and she is so cute. It's it's so wonderful spending time with the three of them and with her and you got that's nice and now yeah. you gotta now they did it so you can go have time with the kid and leave yeah it's really been a grandpa <laughs> or something you, just, you get to spoil them and then uh, yeah. Yeah. are your folks still around uh both my folks are still around they're back in virginia still and uh there it's uh i'm lucky to have them around uh, generations in virginia like you go back in virginia uh, or you don't really know. I guess I'm, you know what I you know I always wonder I see those commercials for like ancestry.com right. and stuff. You ever do you do that? Do you ever? No, no cuz I I don't know how far like I know my the Jewish thing you only one or two generations back and then you're in Russia, Poland okay. or yeah, right. <laughs> or, or Germany. You know, that's 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 it. Uh, Eastern European. I I'm kind of curious. I am too. I kind of am too, but I haven't I haven't actually gone and done it and I like if my mom, uh, my especially my mom, if she's when she'll when she'll listen to this, she'll say you you know you know yeah you, you know, know you know you, yeah. you know all this and I, I mean I know 
my grandfather. And yeah. I'm our new, my yeah. grandfather, both yeah. grandfathers. But but yeah, going back many generations, I I, I don't I don't know about that. But well, I, well, the South is like the South, though. Like you know, I'm, I'm I've become uh, more fascinated with the South. Yeah. Like I used to be sort of snotty about this stuff, yeah. a little condescending. Mm-hmm. But the more I go there, out of all the places I visit in yeah. the in the country, yeah. it's the most interesting. Like it just feels Good. like there's a lot of there's a lot of weird history here. <laughs> well, there's some, there's some some bad shit went down, but there's some good people here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a moral a- struggle every day in the South. <laughs> Well, of yeah, some kind. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what was it like growing up for you there? I mean, did you feel that? It was great. I, I love I love Virginia. I love my home state. I don't get back often enough now. I only get back once a year. Uh, did you grow up holidays. with uh, horses or anything? I mean, I grew up around them uh, and cows mostly. Cows? More cows than horses. It was called Farmville and it yeah. was aptly named. Oh. But uh, but they weren't, none of them were, were ours. How'd we you, we yeah. grew up in a little uh, subdivision. You know? Oh, yeah. how'd you end up there? Well, uh, my mom was from Virginia. Uh, but in Farmville, like it seemed like you were oh, in Richmond. Far- yes, we were in Richmond. Uh, my dad met my mom in Richmond, uh, and he was from Syracuse, New York. So my dad's side of the Yankee. family was from, yeah, upstate. Mm. And uh, the first thing, you know, when my, uh, they moved, my dad moved, or, or my dad's, my, my grandparents uh, on my dad's side, uh, they moved to Richmond in like 1957, 56, 57. And they got there because... Uh, they wanted my grandfather, uh, Vincent, who yeah. uh, I'm partly named after. Uh, partly. <laughs> well, I'm George Vincent Gilligan Jr., so my dad is George, so oh. I'm a junior. But um, my grandfather had worked at a, at a, at a GM uh, subdivision. I think, yeah, uh, making car parts. Making car parts, and he wanted to be his own boss, and right. he had the opportunity in the late 50s to uh, buy a, uh, a used bookstore in really? Richmond, Virginia, which he had never visited before. So in the late 50s, he, he bought this through, uh, it was the back of an ad in a book dealer magazine. That was the big idea? It was a big idea, and he was a wonderful, he was wonderful at it, and he was his own boss uh, until he passed away from the late 50s till he passed away in uh, the late 80s. He kept an in, uh, a used bookstore. Yeah, in Richmond, and the first thing they did, and, and, and so they moved, he and my grandmother, his wife, yeah. uh, uh, Jean, that uh, they moved, uh, and my dad went with them. My dad was about seventeen or eighteen, and was I think just about to go into the Marine Corps. Uh-huh. But they moved to Richmond from Syracuse, and the first thing they did was uh, put a big Confederate flag up in the uh, <laughs> the window of the new bookstore because not because they believed in that or anything, right. but because they they were afraid. You know this. This must be a town where that will be important to right, do. Right, so then we're from up north. <laughs> yeah. We just want to know that we want to sell some books we're, here. We're, we're not carpetbaggers. Right. We want you to know that. So, uh, How long did that stay in the window? Uh, probably not too long because they, they realized <laughs> mo- most folks were like, whatever, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think most folks would be like, what kind of bookstore is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it was Richmond was, was different in the late 50s. Was it? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, from what I hear, I was not around myself. So, so we had the used bookstore for 30 years? Yeah, at least uh, from about... What yeah. was it called? People probably knew it. Richmond Bookshop, and it's still there, uh, and the old sign is still up. Was he window. a character? Did people know him? Like, do you run into people who are like, I know he, that bookstore. He, he was very well respected by the, the folks who knew him. He was a wonderful guy. He wasn't really a character per se. Right. I guess, I mean, he wasn't colorful in a in a charactery sort of right. sense, but he was a wonderful bedrock kind of a guy. Did you have experiences in that bookstore? Oh, yeah. I mean, I well, I, I think uh, it gave me... Uh, a great love of reading. I, my brother and I, uh, 
you know, growing up and visiting, uh, driving in for, for yeah. or being driven in from Farmville an right. hour and a half drive, and then staying the weekends with my uh, grandparents in in Richmond and visiting the bookstore. And my my grandfather never really had two dimes to rub together because he didn't make a lot of money, but he made a living. Right, he made a living doing this. Did he have a lot, lot of good books. He had wonderful books, and yeah. I, I got into science fiction, and I got into in his bookstore. In his bookstore, and he was great because. He would, uh, we would just, my brother Patrick and I would go around and, and pile up books and say, Grampy, can we have, them? we call him Grampy, yeah. Grampy, Grampy, uh, Grampy, can we have this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Grampy, Take can it. we have that one? Only occasionally it'd be some really expensive book and he'd say, well, you know, how about you just read that here, but not take it with you. <laughs> he was, he was wonderful. He was so generous and, and we got to love, Patrick and I both got to love a reading from that. And, that and, and you had a relationship with your grandfather. Yeah. Oh, what, wonderful. What was some of that first, uh, so sci-fi was your thing? Comic books, except not the cool kind that everybody uh, makes movies about now. What, what do we mean? Richie we... Rich. That was what I was into. Richie Rich. Richie all, all, Rich. All the, all the Harvey comic books. So uh, that must be the... that. These are the seeds of Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Rich... <laughs> Richie Rich. Richie Rich was born rich. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have to. He didn't have to work for it like Walter White did. But, uh, did yeah. you, you? You liked Richie Rich. He was conflicted about being rich. Richie when did rich you was... first start to sort of realize that? You know, because like to gravitate towards. And even like uh, I don't know how how you got the job on on X Files, but uh, you must have some sense of science fiction, you know, and you must have yeah. some love for that kind of uh, you know abstract imagination that's sort of rooted in in humanness. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I grew up loving uh, Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov. And those then, you know, those are like classic used books. Did you get those at the store? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, read my first. Uh, for, uh, Frank Herbert and uh, who else? Uh, it, it, uh, I mean, you know, I read. I, I, I am not. I, I did not read as as deeply. Uh, I read very broad and very, very broadly and very shallowly. Is that shallowly? Is that sure. a word? Yeah, but uh, why not? But, but I. Uh, but you know what? When I started on X Files, uh, I mean, I'd written. I was writing for the movies before that, and I was really. I considered myself a comedy writer. I or. I'd, Comedy. I mean, I consider myself a writer of comedic movies. Well, I I believe, and I said it from early on that um, Walter and uh, and Jesse were a comedy team. <laughs> they, you know what? They were sort of the postmodern uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy, weren't they? Well, there was definitely. Yeah. I th I thought that element was definitely there. Yeah. And I I don't know. We can talk about it uh, in a bit about you know how much of that was sort of planned. But you know there were you know Walter White is was a classic straight man. Yeah. Yeah. To Jesse. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's definitely funny shit in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's stuff that's horrible, but it was it was one of those weird lessons, I think, that I might have learned while watching Breaking Bad is that there is when you, you know, as terrifying as Danny Trejo's head on a tortoise might be, right. it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's, yeah. it's on some weird yeah. level. Oh, yeah. No, we, we made the show as funny as we could possibly make it and and funny of course as we both well know is is in the eye of the beholder but but a lot of stuff that made us laugh hysterically in the room uh didn't necessarily make everybody laugh who was watching but but a lot of stuff made us laugh and and we tried to make it as funny as as we could because we always figured if this thing is just a downer if it's just about a guy dying of cancer and he's cooking yeah. this nasty drug and making money off that it, it's just you're just going to want to open a vein watching this thing you're just going to be like oh this is not entertaining yeah i want to laugh you got to leaven your drama with 
humor with comedy sure. because that's uh, you know that's the only way you get through life you got to live in the real drama yeah, of your buffer, life uh, and buffer disappointment that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's 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 what life is yeah. buffering disappointment <laughs> yes exactly so we felt that way from the first the from the from the get-go on, on breaking band i just figured this show has a, has a possibility of being so relentlessly heavy and dreary the and comedy was strong good yeah we're, we're good i'm because, glad because good. even like you know even the characters that were the most frightening in a way we're, we're outside of gus but like tuco mm-hmm. is kind of a clown yeah in a way yeah you yeah. know it, as long as you're not there for him to cut your head off yeah he's he's no no i know but, he's funny from a distance he is. but even yeah. even in in saul where yeah. you meet tuco yeah he's like kind of half a moron yeah, yeah. you know like and there's <laughs> yeah no you're right yeah. that, that moment where he's like what should i do you know and then, and then the yeah. smart guy's got to sort of tell him yeah uh but okay but going back so what started the interest in in movies like how how old were you like what kind of kid were you in high school were you dungeons and dragons yeah played, you were? yeah played dungeons and dragons i was just a loser who didn't go to the prom i don't you know. know i don't know if that's a loser anymore i think that is the backstory that's a proud backstory well, now I, Vince. then it's i a, was born too soon because <laughs> <laughs> believe me man it was back then it was being a loser nude ner- <laughs> nerds run the world now they the, do the sadness has transcended like you a guy who comes from dungeons and dragons and and isaac asimov books and sitting alone reading in your grandpa's bookstore created one of the most gritty television series (laughs) ever one of the best look at what you did richie rich was a gritty comic book what can i tell you i I never i never did uh, the dungeons and dragons thing i read some richie rich yeah did you you? sure i mean i maybe a little bit casper the friendly ghost well i mean how old were you i hope you were were young right 17 no, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, no, I was. Uh, that was when yeah, I was you know, eight, or, eight or ten or seven or eight. So, so you're hanging out with the dungeon masters and yes, and those kids playing yes. chess. I imagine. No, no, I did not. I was not smart. I'm still. I'm not smart yeah. enough for chess. Although uh, Tom Schnauz, one of our writer producers, has yeah. two or three chess boards going in the uh, in the office. Really, and all the other, not all of them, but our my assistant Jen and. Uh, my former assistant is now one of my writers, Gordon. These these folks play chess, and, mm-hmm. and Tom has multiple games going. He's like Bobby Fischer or that something. That guy. Yeah, and it's God, just like, I wish I could do that with God, my brain. I, I want to knock that board over every time I walk past it. I think you should. You're the boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take yeah. some liberty. I hear you're too nice a guy in the yeah, writer's room. Yeah, yeah, you it's know, time I mean, to lose your shit. I, know, I need to lose my shit a Pull little. a Harmon or a Milch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> come on yeah, guy. you need your write yeah. a passage yeah you send some writers crying <laughs> yeah exactly oh man yeah, go do that yeah do it tomorrow <laughs> fuck it all up vince it's time to ruin the whole thing That's right so but but in high school did you, did you play a band instrument no i wish no, i had good. you know uh my mom was wonderful is wonderful uh i wish she's gonna kill me too when she hears this i wish she had made me take and it's not on her but right. i wish i wish someone had made me take lessons because i love music uh but i am not i i i you know in the editing room i said this before yeah uh, and, it, and it bears repeating that in the editing room that it's the it's the closest i feel i'll ever get to being able to write music sure it's that rhythm of editing is is and i and i i feel like in another lifetime if i had had that if i had learned to play some sort of instrument i wouldn't have been 
wonderful at it. I wouldn't have been good enough to, I, I sort of know intrinsically, I wouldn't have been good enough to perform publicly, yeah. but it could have given me a grounding that I could have written music because I think I would have loved to have done that. Right. But I, I think what, like what you're saying is that you, because of the medium you've chosen, which is uh, uh, film yeah. really. Yeah. And cause I think that what you did with television you know, in the tradition of, of what had been happening in television, The Sopranos, Deadwood, and what that, you know, finding the time and, and the, the sort of vision to create, uh, you know, framing and, and, and take, you know, a certain amount of time to, to create, uh, filmic things, you oh, know, thank you. Yeah. uh, that, and, and also the way that sound works in Breaking Bad. I, I think that with film, you get to integrate all that. Even yeah. even if you yeah. have a guy, it's like you got a musician you work with or you've oh, got yeah. a composer. Right. So sure. so you're still the guy that goes, like, can you give me more of that? You know, like, yeah. so I, you want, have a I want sense more treble. I want yeah, more treble. Is it just treble or <laughs> can you make that? Do you have a more menacing bit of notes? Do you? <laughs> you know, I always feel like an idiot. We have this amazing composer, uh, Dave Porter, who was on both shows, uh -huh. Breaking Bad, Battle uh -huh. Song. And I always feel... I always feel like I'm talking to a uh, uh, to a brain surgeon. Like, yeah, could you cut here instead of cut there? Right. Could you resect this part instead of? <laughs> I don't have the language, and I. But you know what? What works? He's a wonderful down to earth guy, and what works with him and and Thomas Goliabich, our, our music supervisor, mm -hmm. works with both those guys, is to speak. And they taught me this: speak in terms simply of emotion. What emotion are you trying to convey here? With yeah, in the in the yeah. picture, yeah. Instead of you know, I want this in uh, four fifths time and blah blah blah. Sure. I want an A sharp here. Right. I, I, I couldn't do that to save my life. But but with those guys, I talk emotion and. That's good. Yeah, it works well. Well, yeah. yeah. So you're yeah. you're making music on some level. You're making it's decisions. It's as close to music as I will ever make, and it feels good to do it. All right. So you're mad at your mom because she didn't make you play some instruments. <laughs> didn't make me learn to play the piano. Or yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that, you'll just have to let that go, and I she's going to feel terrible. I know. Uh, but she maybe she'll call <laughs> you and go like, "Start now, Vince." I know. Well, she will, and that's your exact. She will say, "It's no time like the present." <laughs> And then you're yeah. not dead yet. What's what's stopping you? Right. And she's she'd be right. Now your parents together or not together? No, not together. They got divorced when I was uh, ten, and my brother was uh, six oh. uh, back in 1976. Did and, they get uh, along after that though? Uh, they're yeah, yeah. They, they, well, they just uh, I'm sure they would. They just don't see much of each other. But they did the right thing by you guys. You know, it probably didn't feel that way at the time, but yeah, yeah, I think they did. Well, they did the right thing for each other, and, yeah. and therefore it was the right thing for but us. But you saw your dad, and you, you know. Yeah, and the good thing is, uh, you know, still see my dad, still see my mom, still yeah. look my Pat, and yeah. I'm lucky to still have him. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and then yeah. I got my Uncle Gary, He's uh, that's uh, the other family we have, who's a great guy, and he's in Virginia. So it's one fell swoop, I get to visit all of them. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Knock well, it all out in one. Yeah, see the out. kids, see your brother, see mom and dad. Well, no, actually, Patrick and, and uh, his wife, Miho, and my niece are out here. They're down in Garden Grove. Oh, so they all live here. Yeah, which is, which is oh, even so better. Oh, so it becomes less important to go back to Virginia. <laughs> well, no, you know, I love going back. I just uh, I only really, you know, it takes forever to get there. It's like, because, uh, you, you know, it takes a flight to Atlanta and then a flight to Richmond and it takes all day and I don't On get a little I plane well yeah, depends. sometimes too. sometimes yeah but yeah, uh, I, I do those a lot yeah yeah I, I don't sometimes they bother me sometimes they don't sometimes I'm like oh good I can see the ground I feel like I'm in a car oh okay like I feel like I'm flying like yeah. I get that like I, there's sometimes I feel better to know I don't like it when I'm on a plane and you just sort of all of a sudden you're like I didn't I forgot I was flying until we hit this turbulence okay yeah, yeah we're, <laughs> and then you're like oh okay we're a mile in the air I remember now god damn it <laughs> are you are you a nervous flyer do you not like flying? I can't afford to be because it's 
exhausting. But innately, yeah, yeah. like I know the odds are in my favor. Yeah. But you know there is that possibility. See, I'm not nervous about dying in the air. I'm nervous about being surrounded by, you know, going through TSA and taking my shoes off and go all this stuff, and then you just never know who you're going to get sitting next to you, and the, yeah. the seats get smaller every every month. You know. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a secret. You know, you're at a point in your life now where you can go ahead and get first class. <laughs> You know what? I it 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 was it was not that long ago that I started doing that no, because I know. because I mean, because it's the it's it's the goddamn it's the principle of the thing. It's like how you say you you say to yourself, yeah, you know, I got the money, I'm gonna yeah. be first class, yeah. business class, right? And then you punch it up in the computer, you're like, and you're like it's like eight fucking times yeah. how much what? It, yeah. it's, it's, is it really worth it's, it? It's insane how much more it is. I believe me, I know, yeah. and and yeah. but like I don't have a wife, I don't got, I don't got, yeah. I, I'm not complaining, yeah. you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't spend much money, yeah. But now, like, if I'm going all the way no, coast no. to coast, yeah. I'm like, let's just. Why not think about it in terms of a of a guy that can afford it? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. we both come from a sort of like, yeah. uh, like I come from a comics background, yeah. you know. So I, I'm always like, I don't know when my money's going to go away. Yeah. And you yeah. come from pretty much working class background, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just seems like an extravagance. It, you know what it is? It really is a principle thing. I don't understand the pricing. The tiered no, there's no pricing. The it's, pricing. It's just ripping you off. Yeah, they are. All right, uh, we've we've gotten far away from our agenda here. Yeah. I think we we're I think we're good I think on the people the need to know this. Yes. Yeah, I think we're good. We know where you stand airline wise. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Burbank's not so bad. No, no Burbank's the best. Yeah, they're, they're as far as airports. I fucking love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like you can get there a half hour before without yeah. even freaking out. That's an old school pre nine eleven type. Yeah. Type. That's Part, you can valet your car. Wow. They have yeah. that. You yeah. just pull up. That's right, they do. I mean, it's like 20 a day, but who cares? Oh, no, it's worth For it. For three do, days, four days? Do you remember uh, pre-9-11? Oh, this is even before. This is like 20, 30 years ago. Remember you could get on the plane with yeah. your friend, and yeah. then the the air, uh, steward- uh, the, They'd come get your tickets. Well, they, they would say, they'd come on the intercom, yeah. and they'd say, okay, everybody who's not actually going to, you know, going to Jackson, Or they could walk you, not only walk you to the gate, but sit on the plane you with you. You could literally go on the plane. People oh, yeah. listening to this who didn't live through it are going to be like, what? You yeah. could get on the plane, and at a certain point, the, the what flight, attendant. flight attendant, they call them stewardesses yeah. back then. No? Sorry. She would get on and she would say, usually she, and she would say, okay, everybody who's not going to Buffalo, get off. better get off the plane now. It was like, it was such we a different smoke. World. I oh, smoked yeah. on planes when I was in high school. Oh, I yeah. used to love smoking on planes. Oh, yeah. You'd have the back four, the back two rows. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, on a plane now, could you imagine? Like, what the fuck? How different was the world that everything oh. must have smelled like cigarettes? Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. if someone lit a cigarette on an airplane right now, it'd be like, "What is happening?" The air marshal just shoots you in the head before but the plane the even landed. Like everyone was so acclimated to the smell, I guess, because yeah, every yeah. plane had it. Oh yeah. And I had a sixth grade teacher in elementary school. Wonderful, wonderful teacher, Mr. Guthrie. I loved him. Great teacher. Yeah. He smoked a pipe yeah. in class, and it smelled so good. The best. They would they would take him away and just summarily shoot him against a wall now for doing that. <laughs> It's like, it's yeah. like and I, we loved it. It smelled good. Did you smoke? No, I didn't. Never I didn't. Did. It's, pipes do smell better. Cigarettes. Cigarettes are nasty. Yeah. They, Cigars they, and pipes. I like. I, you know what? I like. Uh, I smoke the occasional cigar. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I like that. It's One good. couple times a year. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The good but, ones. But it's like Sony it's, cigars. <laughs> 
uh, I'm happy just with the flying on the occasional Sony jet okay. ride. Okay. Yeah, that's, but uh, the, I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's just cigarettes. So, yeah. Bad. My, They're bad. My yeah. brother and my mom used to smoke. And you're right. We'd be in that little living room we had, and they'd that's both just, be smoking away. Yeah. And I didn't even notice. And now it would, it would oh, bother yeah. me now. It yeah. Would. Drive everyone crazy. Yeah, yeah. But it was everywhere. Yeah. So, all right. So now you're you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. You're not smoking. You're not playing any instruments. You're reading Ray, Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov. Yeah. You know, where does the interest, uh, you know, in, in where does your creativity start? You know, was I it just, in film? Uh, was it in... I, I love doing... I just... I had a rich uh, imagination, and uh, it's held me in pretty good stead. I've been, I was lucky. I, I, I loved... I loved... Uh, I had a wonderful art teacher named Jackie Wall. Uh, this the was best. In elementary important. school. She was a wonderful... And her son is two-time Oscar-winning editor Angus Wall, who won uh, for editing, uh, co- co-editing, uh, uh, what did he, it was uh, Social Network, and uh, was it uh, Girl to Dragon Tattoo? Anyway, he, he cuts for Fincher, and uh-huh. uh, he and his uh, uh, editing uh, This guy you grew up with. And this grew up in the town of Farmville, which had like 4,500 people. And in. his mom was your art teacher. And his mom was my art teacher. He's a wonderful guy. She was a wonderful teacher and she and i loved i loved drawing painting sculpting uh and she she turned us on to so many uh so many things we got to make little pewter sculptures and we got yeah. to fire stuff in the kiln right that she had and she was a wonderful teacher did so you do I, brass did you do any of that stuff i you? did some of that later i went to a school with called, the wax and then you put it in the thing and it melts out the, the wax, lost and wax process i i made a pair of silver earrings uh with that? At, at a at a school called interlochen which was great where uh, the hell is that that's in interlochen michigan near, right near traverse city I, when, I went there one year it was ninth grade uh, it was and and Mrs. Wall helped me get into that. Uh, that was after elementary school. Wait, so, what is that like an exchange program? It was a, it was a boarding. It still exists. It's an uh, excellent boarding school. Uh, the uh, the uh, national music camps there in the summer, and then during the school months, it's uh, Interlochen Arts Academy. And uh, what else did you do there? Uh, Again, didn't date girls. What I more, more the, the list of what I didn't do yeah. was, was 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 longer. And but how did you, you? But you tried sculpting. You tried. You drew. Did, you painted. Uh, uh, did metalsmithing. Did uh, blacksmithing. Uh, made some pottery. Uh, painted stuff like that. I was a visual arts student. Most of the kids there were were music and performance uh-huh. arts students. And so you're always heading that way. Like I kind of always early. was. And I was always headed. And thank Greek. God for Mrs. Wall. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and she, you know, but I always, uh, I just always was into that stuff. And I always, that's, that's what I was doing all through high school, being a nerd. I was writing uh, scripts and I was making little uh, For movies? Film. Yeah, I had little short films on Super 8 film. You and, made them? You had a Super 8 camera? I didn't have one. Uh, that's yet a, another wonderful thing about her is she loaned me hers every summer. So I got to keep it for three months over the summer. Like with the little reels, like yeah, film? Yeah, a little Super 8 film, yeah. Film. And you were cutting it too? You had yeah, an editor? Yeah, I would cut it. She let me use the the janitor at the school. It was called the J.P. Wynn Campus School in yeah. Farmville, Virginia. It doesn't exist anymore. It was a great, great school. And the jan- she let me use a janitor's closet yeah. as an editing room. Huh. And she lent me her editing uh, machine, and I would I would cut the Super 8 film. And it was it was. What were those great. early films? What were those early I, Vince Gilligan films? I did the one that was my magnum opus for elementary school. It was called Space Wreck. Uh-huh. And my brother Pat starred in it, uh-huh. and he is in a spaceship, which I had so much fun building. Yeah. And a he, full one. How to well, build it? Well, it was a... It was a little uh, foot long or less less than a foot. Oh, so you're using model. effects. And I was I shot it against a piece of black uh, 
fabric with uh-huh. little grains of salt glued on it for stars. Mm-hmm. It looked like shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You didn't poke coals and put a light source. Behind no, because it. that want... would have been too. That would have been too smart. That oh. would look too good. Yeah. You know, I had to do it the hard, harder, and crappier looking way. But uh, uh, and my brother's in the spaceship and he lands on a planet and then he he finds the wreckage of a ship and he's checking it out and some weird space slime has eaten through this other ship and made it crash. Uh-huh. So he has to take off in a hurry to avoid it. But then you see. Dun dun dun! To the bottom of the ship as it lifts off, there's slime all over the bottom. Oh, he's of the ship. in trouble. Yeah, he's in trouble. And that's it. Yeah, that was it. That's pretty dark. <laughs> it doesn't work out for that guy. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty ambitious for a, a Super yeah. 8 film. If you saw it, you wouldn't think so. <laughs> well, you, you decided that you had yeah. the capacity to uh, to go to another planet. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. like on film, you're yeah. like we're 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 doing full on sci-fi. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Now and what were some of the other ones? Do you remember? That was. Uh, I made some little. made something with a, a little uh, stop motion gremlin who was uh, giving trouble to some guy. Yeah, stuff like that. That was called Gremlin. Oh, good name. Yeah, you didn't get anything. <laughs> it was before. It was actually before Gremlins. Oh, so maybe you should maybe. I should have you know, sued those bastards. Yeah, Joe Dante yeah, shouldn't hear about that. <laughs> Whoever, who wrote that. <laughs> it was, it was Joe Dante. Yeah, that first Gremlins movie's good. He has the coolest office, as I recall. I had a meeting with him years ago. He, I, I could have hung around that office for days. Cause oh, really? Filled with props from his movies and other famous movies. Yeah. Awesome office. Yeah, yeah. good eye, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah good I, director. So, so you do these different schools, you're in the arts, and when did you sort of realize it was film that it was going to be? I just, I love movies. Uh, my dad... Uh, uh, George um, uh, Senior, uh, he would wake me up. This was way before VHS tape, yeah. and obviously way before DVRs and all that. And the late movie'd be on, you know, at uh, two in the morning. He'd wake me up and he'd say, "Hey, hey, come on, wake up! You gotta watch! You gotta watch this! We gotta watch Bad Day at Black Rock." Really? Said, What's that? Oh, it's a great movie. You gotta watch it. Spencer Tracy's this one-armed guy, and he's uh, just come from the war. And he said, watch him karate chop this guy in the throat. This guy named Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. He just, watch him chop this guy in the throat. It's great. Yeah. You know, it was that kind of thing. So it was a regular occurrence where he'd wake you up and yeah. have you watch well, his great movies? Only, probably only a couple times, but I have such a fond memory of that. And he he turned me on to these great movies. Like and, what other ones? Uh, what else? Westerns? Uh, oh, God, yeah. Westerns. Uh, you know, the Spaghetti Westerns, the John Ford Westerns, sure. the Searchers. You the know. Searchers, right? Searchers, great. Because I realize, like, you know, like there, there are shots that you got. Oh yeah, in Albuquerque, in oh, yeah. outside Albuquerque. Oh yeah, there. so you're thinking that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it it it, it dawned on me when I directed the pilot of, of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I was I was uh, I was ripping off uh, William Friedkin a bit from The French Connection, which is another one of my favorite movies. What part? The the uh, the the steady, but nonetheless handheld camera. Uh, right. The French Connection is shot with this the cinema verite, this sort of newsreel. Right. Uh, uh, way of it's as if as if someone's running around following Popeye Doyle, right? And he doesn't have time to set up a tripod, so right. everything has to be handheld, right? But it's not this caffeinated handheld that's moving artificially. It's it's someone holding the camera as, as steady as they humanly can, but they're still breathing to it. They're and you still, did that. Uh, I was I was ripping off Friedkin there, and uh, and I was doing that because when I was doing the pilot, in I was, the scene where we see him naked. Well, that, actually, throughout the whole the, throughout the whole series, really, the, you it, did a lot uh, of that. That, that steady. But you were aware of that. You're like, I was, yeah, the, I, was, I was thinking of Friedkin and the French Connection. Where'd you know? Where'd you learn that he did that? 
just from watching the movie. I mean, just to, when you watch it, you, uh-huh. and I've seen it a bunch of times. It's one of my favorites. But when you watch French Connection, you sort of notice that. It's, it's, I watched it again recently. It holds up, man. Oh, it's a great movie. And it and it and you know what? It feels like it could have been made today. You know, it's it's one of those kind of movies. Yeah. It's great. But uh, my point being, when I wrote the pilot for Breaking Bad, I was thinking of California. I was thinking of shooting it here yeah. in, uh, in California. And one of the luckiest happenstances, aside from getting the yes from Sony and AMC in the first place, was when the Sony guy said, what do you think about shooting it instead of California? What do you think about shooting in Albuquerque, New Mexico? And I said, why? And they said, because, honestly, because New Mexico has this wonderful rebate, this tax incentive. And they got this. Did you use those studios out there? Well, yeah. We shoot at Q Studios right near the airport. Yeah. And they were, they're great, too. But they said, you will have more money at your disposal that you can put on film. Uh-huh. Uh, and I said, I thought about it. And they said, and you can still make it California. Just put California license plates on the cars. And I said, no, we'll we'll do it, but we'll make it Albuquerque because, unfortunately, there's a meth problem everywhere, pretty sure. much all of the 50 but states. But you get the great landscape. And, and so this is what I'm heading toward. Yeah. It was such a wonderful stroke of good fortune uh, among many others because – Directing the pilot, like I say, I'm thinking of the French Connection, but but I'm looking around halfway through the pilot saying, this looks like a Western. Yeah. This is a Western landscape. I can think of John Ford. I can think of Sergio Leone. I yeah. can think of uh, Bud Bedeker and all these wonderful, uh, you know, all the Howard Hawks, all the guys directing these wonderful Westerns. I can We can make this uh, a, a, a modern Western, and that's exactly what we did. And we got to a point, uh, Michelle McLaren, who was our producer, director, and directed more episodes of, of, of Breaking Bad than anyone else? She and I would show we would we would show the first fifteen minutes of uh, Once Upon a Time in the West to all incoming directors, yeah, and say we were kind of looking for this kind of a look, you know. You and, did? Oh yeah, we did. We were very much going for a western at that point. Uh, at what point? Right at the beginning. Well, I mean, you evolve. You realize. It, I, I guess what I'm saying. I was thinking more of, like I say, thinking more of Friedkin and and, at and, the beginning, and that right. kind of, and then realizing, my God, look at these endless skies with these beautiful white puffy. Clouds. You shot it beautifully. Well, th- well, I know we had a, we had amazing DPs. we starting with John Toll, uh, double Oscar winner, uh, shot the pilot, and then we had uh, we had uh, Ray Villalobos, uh, excellent DP, uh, for the first season, and then Michael Slovis for, for the remainder of the series. They must have loved the opportunity to shoot out there. They they did, and, and they got to – I mean, when we started, film was still uh, – was not rare like it is now. But we got to, we shot film, too, 35-millimeter film, all the way to the end of Breaking Bad. And that was another – now that's a fading opportunity. It's all well. shot on film? Every bit of Breaking Bad. Well, uh, yes, the show's shot on film. We had a couple shots here and there uh, we did with uh, little video cameras just to grab. So that's how you got the depth, I guess, and the and the richness. What was the primary difference outside of being uh, – you're beholden to, uh, to, uh, to nailing it a little more – Consistently. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You don't have that. You don't have that monitor that shows you exactly what you're right. You get. can't just sort of like, yeah, hey, it's video. We can shoot as much as we want. It's video. You yeah, know, it's not. Yeah. It's just a chip. It's a card. Well, when we started uh, in 2007, video. I mean, video HD video certainly existed. It didn't seem like as much of a of a good idea at the time. I mean, guys. They didn't like, have the red camera. Or they didn't have it, like any of those uh, high the, end. I, I don't know if the red existed then right. or not. But it, it, you know, and guys like Michael Mann were shooting Collateral yeah. and Miami Vice and right. stuff like the the, the movie uh, on 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 HD. But, but it was still like a big deal. Like we're trying this out. Yeah, it was a little more. 
I may be getting my history wrong. Maybe it was a little less experimental than I recall, but I it never occurred to me to do that. And I, and You're I, always going to go shoot on film. And honestly, to the point that Peter Gould and I, Peter's my partner on Better Call Saul, and he yeah. was a writer-producer on Breaking Bad, we we are a bit heartsick that we're not shooting film on, on Better Call Saul. We're shooting on the red. We're shooting on the red dragon. Yeah. And we miss film. And the red dragon looks great. And it's one of many cameras. The F-55 by Sony looks great. But the, 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 the Alexa by Aerie. But we miss film. Why? You know, it's. I don't have a great reason for you other than I, I miss the, the history of it. I miss, when I think of film, I think of all the wonderful movies that that made me interested in this medium in the first place they were uh-huh. all shot on film they it, it just has a, a romance to it it has a a lot of people will tell you it has a look that 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 uh, video can't replicate i hate to say this being such a lover of film as i am but we yeah. we had a we had a uh we took a uh we had a very uh detailed uh test we we took before better call saw we shot uh, we, Arthur Albert, our DP on Better Call Saul, shot footage on on 35 millimeter film, the F55, the couple of the uh, the Reds, uh, the Alexa, and then we we had a blind taste test, as it were. He showed us all this footage, had it all color timed to look similar and whatnot. Showed us uh, all this footage, and I figured if I could pick out the film, if Peter and I could pick out the film, we'd shoot film, at, even at the cost of you know, a hundred grand more an episode, which is what they tell us we're saving. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. And I hate to say it, we couldn't pick it out. Couldn't pick out the film. So, Damn. And I and I felt so heartbreaking. So all of this long winded way of saying when you say to me, What do you miss about film? I can't say that video is inferior. Uh, I can't even say that it's fundamentally different at this point. Right. Uh, in its look. Right. I can just say that I miss film. I miss it, and I, I still want to be shooting on it. But it's, I, it's, I can't sit here and tell you why it's better. But you miss it's it's uh, it, you can feel it. Yeah, it's a palpable thing. I right. miss uh, you know. It's of course you know no one has cut on film for quite a while. Uh, they've been you know. Been, oh, so you just immediately transfer? Well, I mean, we we always cut on the Avid, and and even on X Files back in the mid nineties, we we're cutting on the Avid. So uh, you so, were shooting on film with that. We shot a film on that, but we cut on the avid. So a lot of guys, you know, the the guys, the, the real proponents of video, the guys like uh, George Lucas, had an interesting conversation. The one time I ever met him, had an interesting conversation with him. Someone told him who I was, and he said, hey, I'm Breaking Banner here, that's, yeah, here, yeah, that's right. good. And then uh, my boss, uh, Steve Mosco, uh, runs Sony Television. He said, hey, George, you know, Vince, uh, and he, he knew he was stirring up the shit when he said this. He said, George, you know, Vince, uh, Vince shoots Breaking Banner on film. And he turned around at his heel and came back and he said, why would you do that? And he started, he was like, he was like angry. Like, why would you shoot on film? Why would you, yeah. you know, video is so much better. And <laughs> what did you say? I, I just listened because I'm like, it was just cool talking to George Lucas. <laughs> Being yelled at by George Lucas. Yeah, I was getting yelled. I mean, I'm, I'm overstating it a little bit. He yeah. was pleasant about it. He wasn't, he wasn't angry, but he, but he was proselytizing to someone who who he could he could pull out of the depths of ignorance and and show the light to you know sure and and uh, you know but and he said and he and he's right when he says this he says you know when these guys say this they say if you're shooting photo if you're capturing photochemically which is to say on film and you're immediately transferring the negative into ones and zeros and cutting on yeah. it and finishing on it what's the point unless you're doing the, the, unless the the production chain post production chain is photochemical from start to finish. 
and that's uh, that's a good argument. You know, I don't have good arguments to the George. You just Lucas like it. It's like I, I just, I just like it. I it's like me like listening it. to records. I don't know why I went yeah. back to that. It's sort of a trend. Yeah, but who the hell yeah. knows if it's better? There's a certain grain crawl, I guess, that that film has because it's uh, the grain. The grain in in video is in the the grain, as it were. The pixel uh, yeah. locations are in the same spot with every frame, and in film, it's always crawling because the grain, which is to say, the the crystal structure yeah. is is different in a different spot on every frame. So there's that. But you know these guys will say, well, if you want that look, you can you can burn we that can into the you bake that into the video, you know. And, we can do that, you know. So we can it's, add it. It's like yeah, but it's just not as romantic. I know you want to be Howard Hawks. Yeah, yeah. you want to be uh, William Friedkin. Yeah, the big yeah. camera. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah, you know, you know, queer, check the gate. Yeah, check the gate. Well, we still say that. Sure. And then I, every time I say it, because you'll say, okay, that was great. Check the gate, and then I'm like, eh, why am I even still saying yeah, that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nostalgia. Yeah. So your dad showed you all these movies and got you eleven movies. Did yeah. you end up going to school for film? Uh, yeah. Uh, and my mom, I can't leave her out. She was so uh, a bit more than my dad. In fact, was very uh, supportive of me going to film school. Mm-hmm. My dad did say, as I recall, why don't you just be an electrician? You right. Know, sure. Maybe, well, they get nervous. They, and I don't blame them. You know, I'd be nervous for my kid if I had one. You know. Right. You know, know, that's usually what it is. Like I've never met. Like every time a parent who has a creative kid says something like that, they don't know any better. They just, they just, yeah. all they hear is like, no, not going to make a living doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's which, interesting. Which uh, in, in his world, people did. What did he do? He, uh, my dad was an insurance claims adjuster, and my mom was a school teacher, mm-hmm. uh, reading teacher in elementary school. And, and they were, and they were both supportive. I don't mean to make it sound like he wasn't, but, sure, but, but sure. my mom was more supportive of me going to film school and went to NYU under good one. Yeah, it was a good school. Went to undergrad. Never, never went past undergrad. But uh, it was. But you got it. What was the Tisch School? Tisch School of uh, Tisch School of the Arts. Yeah. But you learned how to shoot and cut. I learned how to shoot and cut. I mean, I'd been doing that in high school, but I learned a lot more than I already knew. And I learned how to, you know, got to shoot sixteen millimeter for the first right. time. And when I was there from eighty five to eighty nine, it was still, it was still film. And I'm really glad I didn't miss out on that. Uh, although we also had a video class, we shot beta beta 2 or whatever it was at the time but we got to shoot film and that was great so how'd you get the gig on what was the first gig out of college did, did you make movies in college yeah yeah made i mean made little you know mostly crude on other people's movies made little forgettable student films and whatnot myself. sci-fi did you do no, better no sci-fi i did i did something my my thesis film was called mime pays uh-huh it was uh, see, get it crime pays yeah my pay. right good one okay, so you are a comedian and it was, yeah and it was, <laughs> Yeah, there was, you go. And it was uh, these uh, three street clowns who get pissed off at this mime for for uh, snaking business from their corner where they panhandle. So you were you wanted to do comedy? I did. I really did. No, I, and I thought of myself as a comedy person. I mean, yeah. the sci-fi early on, but I I really thought of myself when I got into my twenties as someone who wrote movie scripts, and that's what I did. I wrote uh, the first uh, movies, feature-length movie scripts. I wrote were. Uh, comedic i wrote uh, a script called home fries uh, as my thesis screenplay yeah in at nyu my final year and and i was lucky enough to to sell it and it got made uh, a couple years later as a with a as with drew barrymore and luke wilson and and uh i don't remember that movie it was uh i wrote it in 89 i won a screenwriting contest in my home state of virginia with it and the judge, one of the judges of the contest was a guy named Mark Johnson, who yeah. had just produced Rain Man. Oh, yeah? And he was an alumnus of UVA where the where the contest was held. And he contacted me after, and this was in late 89 or early 90. He said, hey, I like that script. 
uh, that you wrote. Do you have any others? And thank God I did at that point. Yeah. And, and cut to like 1998. I guess it was about nine years later. He he produced it and it got made and they shot it down outside of Austin, Texas. And it was Drew Barrymore, Luke Wilson, uh, Jake Busey, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah. And it's uh, two brothers who uh, uh, are really wrapped around their mother's finger and they, they murder their stepfather uh, at the behest of their mother. But Dark uh, comedy. Dark, very dark because uh, the murder, it opens with this murder. They scare their uh, their stepfather to death. They they fly a Huey Cobra for the uh, Texas uh, uh, Air National yeah. Army National Guard, yeah. and they scare him to death by chasing him around through the woods with this helicopter and shooting blanks at him. And so the cops find him dead of a heart attack, and and so it looks like the perfect crime, except that it, it sounds so goddamn stupid <laughs> pitching it now in hindsight. <laughs> but uh, Drew Barrymore was in her uh, was in her booth at the uh, at the fast at the McDonald's at the fast not literally McDonald's but the fast food restaurant yeah. with her headset on and she overheard the whole thing uh, and she happened to be the woman who was having an affair with the with the uh, with the older man who gets murdered and. When you pitch it, it sounds so ridiculously convoluted. It's nope. fun though. It, 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 it was, Did it do well? No, it didn't do well, but it was well made. The actors were wonderful, and the guy who directed it, a guy named Dean Pariso, did an excellent job. Any failings of this movie were strictly on the part of the screenwriter. Oh, you so take the hit. Me. Yeah, no, I'm taking the hit because it's you know. And did that get you to L.A.? That winning that contest uh, got me. It didn't get me to L.A. Uh, honestly, it, it got me a career, which I, which I, uh, fulfilled from Virginia. I moved back from NYU, uh, a year out of college, moved back to Virginia, bought a house and had a girlfriend back in, who's still my girlfriend, uh, yeah. back in Virginia. And I love the idea of living in Virginia and owning a house. Cause I could own a house there. You're going to get married sooner. Uh, we've been together 25 years, but right. yeah, we're still kicking the tires, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Her name Fine. is Holly. Okay. And she's wonderful, but, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was dating her, and uh, we were, uh, and I, I bought a house and all that, and I was writing movie scripts in Virginia, and then and then going to Kinko's and, and uh, photocopying them and putting them in a FedEx shipper and shipping them out. To, this is before... Sure. You know, the internet and all yeah. that, or, or before I knew how to use it. And were you selling them? Yeah, and Mark Johnson, on the other end, he'd get them in the mail, and he'd. Uh, I, I think I sold the first two or three, or he sold for me uh, the first two or three to yeah. TriStar. Yeah. And uh, the first one to get made, actually, was something called Wilder Napalm, which I guarantee you've never heard of. No. Uh, that was uh, that was uh, uh, Dennis Quaid and Deborah Winger and Arliss Howard. Damn. Two brothers. Two brother brothers again. Yeah. That's, uh, this is like my blue period or something, my sure. brother period. But two brothers who are in love with the same woman, and they can start fires with their minds. Oh, good. A little so, sci-fi action. <laughs> yeah, a little sci-fi A lot action. of fire. Yeah, a lot of fire. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that got made. And I, so I was living in Virginia for the first five years of my career and, and making money uh, in Hollywood. And I thought, you know, I was like, uh, I was. it was great. It was a good deal. Yeah. But um, uh, the, the, the writing, the movie writing started to dry up. At that point, uh, about five years in, started. How many got made? Uh, at uh, at the point things started dry up, only one had been made, which is Wilder Napalm. But that it, was well, ninety three. Oh, okay. So yeah. the one came, other one came later. Yeah, yeah. But how many movies have you had made that you've written total? Uh, with my name on them, uh, three. Uh, and then uh, uh, the third one being so Wilder Napalm, Home Fries, and the third one being uh, Hancock, which uh -huh. I which I I 
uh, a, a, a writer named Vi Vincent No wrote wrote the the first draft of that. Did a great job, and then I was sort of hired to. Wait, was that the uh, uh, Will Smith? Will Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Smith is a superhero. That was yeah. pretty good. It was uh, it was a big credit. Yeah, the reluctant superhero. He had given it up, or he yeah, was homeless and kind of homeless drunk yeah. superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. Will Smith has got great charisma, so he could he could you know he could read a phone book and make sure. it interesting. So right, so it starts drying up, and you're like TV. Well, yeah, you know what? Uh, yes, exactly, because things were drying up. I lost my Writers Guild insurance. Uh, oh, that's the worst. When uh, you go on Cobra, you're oh, like, yeah, holy I was, fuck, uh, paying for your insurance. Well, like an idiot, I didn't even go on Cobra. I just sort of, I just sort of, I just sort of said, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a risk. Roll here. the dice. Yeah, roll the dice. Yeah. Uh, still in my early twenties sure. at that point, but I, I wouldn't roll the dice now. That's yeah. for sure. But anyway. Uh, then the show called The X-Files came along in 93. And you loved it? I loved it as a fan. I didn't have anything to do with it uh, yeah. the first two years. it was I was just a fan. I just yeah. loved it. Yeah. And uh, I called my agent, uh, my agent at the time. She she retired since then, but she was my agent until she retired, a woman named Rhonda Gomez. And I said, I was just talking to her a bit, talking movie business. Yeah. You know, when am I coming out again? You know, is there another meeting for me, this and that and the other? And I said, by the way, there's this new show called The X-Files. It had yeah. been on maybe six months at that point. I said, you really ought to watch it. It's great. And she said, well, as luck would have it, I'm, I'm related to the uh, the creator of it uh, by by marriage. Uh-huh. I, am, I am related by marriage. Some convoluted fashion, she was related to Chris Carter's uh, wife, Dory. Uh-huh. And she, Rhonda, my agent, said, I'll, I'll get you a meeting with him next time you're out on movie business, if you'd like. And I said, that'd be great not to pitch to him, right. just to shake his hand sure. and tell him, I love your show. That's literally all I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And one thing led to another, and, and they were really desperate for writers that point. Really? Season two. Yeah. Because they had to do 26 episodes in season two, and they were they needed help. And I was just at the right place at the right time. And Chris Carter... Gave me this job, which is the second greatest job I've ever had, which was, uh, and a close second of that, which was writing and producing, being a producer, learning to produce, learning to direct, and, and learning to write, really, on television for The X-Files. So oh. it was it was, it was was like the best film school ever, and they paid me to be there. And how many episodes did you end up doing? Uh, I mean, the, the show did 202 episodes over nine years. I was there for about like six and a half. No, I was there seven years out of the nine. Uh, I can't even tell you how many I, I, I had a hand in. I mean, it. it uh, I mean, because I, I, I sort of my thing toward the end was rewriting uh-huh. scripts and uh, and then writing my own originals and I can't even remember how many. But you directed, you wrote. I you directed two. Produced. Uh, Just two. Uh, just two as far as directing, but the first time I ever got to direct professionally was for the X Files. So in three year bone, they're like, all right, let the kid do it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I and and Chris was a great boss because he let us all take on as much responsibility as we could handle, and I learned so much. I can't say enough good about that job, and I wish I had a hand in the upcoming reboot that he's doing for Fox. They're doing six new episodes uh, this coming year. Why don't you have a hand in it? I just I don't have the, I just don't, don't have, have the time. time and I it breaks my Were heart you to asked? say that I was asked yeah. and I and I uh, had a wonderful lunch with Chris and uh, he said you want to be a part of this and I said and it just broke my heart I said man I want to I just I got I got better call Saul going and yeah. I, I'm not a multitasker right? I haven't figured out how to do that well it's hard you, it's you, hard because you, you know something's going to suffer sometimes yeah yeah unless yeah I, I don't know how people do it I don't so know. now well well you're multitasking you got this great podcast you got your own show it's, I mean, it's exhausting. I bet it is. Like you don't, you know, it kind of shreds your brain a little bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, your responsibilities, I think, are 
are a little larger, but but you know what? Maybe not. It, it just no, you you're the boss, man. Right? Yeah. But it's 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 exhausting. It's tough. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is. And also, you know, you have a you. I, I have to be honest with you. You have a, a, a bigger budget than I do. Well, yeah, but that, but budget. What does budget mean? Budget is actually makes things easier, not not harder. I mean, if you have less of a budget and sure, you, you sure. still got to get it done, we well, want a little more time. Yeah, maybe a little yeah. more time. Time, time is money. Money, a little time. more time. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. What I mean, that, yeah. that's what it really comes down that's to. That's what it comes down to. Because like, too. if I'm doing my show, like you know, I'm writing and I'm producing and and I'm in every scene. Yeah. So so we got to have the writing done before we start shooting. Yeah. And, and then it's like then it's just like in it. Yeah. And we're shooting two episodes in six days. We're t- they're like Jesus. I, it's crazy, dude. Holy crap! It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't man. either. That's insane. It's a little insane. That's good for my head is off to you. Yeah. Well, I, I well there but the problem is is if you pull it off the network's like great you can do it like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've hit gold. Yeah. Do th- do three and seven <laughs> days now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So you met Cranston on the set of X-Files? I met Cranston. Uh, uh, we had a, I wrote an episode. Uh, it, it was called Drive, and it was the beginning of season, uh, hell, I don't even remember. But it was uh, it was when we first moved the production from Vancouver to, uh, to California. Mm-hmm. And we had this, I had this part I'd written where Mulder, Agent Mulder, had to be stuck in a car with this crazy guy who's, trying to, who's, who's threatening to kill him. Mm-hmm. And the part was tricky because he needed to be a real scary, badass guy. Yeah. But at the end of the hour, he had to feel sorry for him when he died. And we had all these scary actors come in who could yeah. pull off the scary, but right. they couldn't pull off the human part where you felt bad for him. Until, right. And we were, on, we were scared because we were nervous because it was like only a few days before it was going to start shooting. And yeah. this guy, Brian Cranston, walks in. And it was just like this weight lifted off of us as soon as he read. Really? Because he was so good. This was like 99. Yeah. And he, uh, I said, my God, that guy. As soon as he walked out the door, I said, off to wardrobe. OTW. Yeah. yeah. I said, this guy is the guy. And everybody in the room, all the other producers said, yeah, he was the guy. He's the guy. And I never forgot him. He was wonderful in this in this role. I had never I had forgot him. And I, and I said, even as the shoot was progressing for that episode, and we, you got to understand, we worked with a lot of great actors yeah. on X Files, but I never had that eureka experience of saying, "I want to work with this guy again in the future." Right. I, I know, I mean, there's plenty of people I would want to work with again, right. but I never had that experience of I've got to find something for this particular guy, right? Like I had with him. Yeah. And uh, a year and a half later, after that episode airs, I'm seeing commercials on Fox for this new show called Malcolm in the Middle. And I, I see this clean-shaven guy I didn't recognize, yeah. and I'm like, that guy looks familiar. And then I realize, oh, my God, it's that guy from my Drive episode, X-Files. And I'm watching it. I swear to God, my first reaction, I think I said it out loud to no one. Yeah. I was alone in the room. I said, I didn't know he could be funny. Yeah. Because all I knew him as was this dramatic guy. Yeah. This really intense dramatic yeah, guy. He's a real actor. He's a real, And that's how that's the first way I knew him, because when, when we started pitching actors when i pitched well, there was only one actor as far as i was concerned when i pitched to amc they said who do you want to play walter white i said brian cranston uh the 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 the, the folks at, at amc all they knew him from was was malcolm in the middle yeah and they said seriously yeah and to their credit once i showed them this x-file episode they had the op they, they had the opposite take on him i had they said wait a minute this guy could be serious he could be dramatic uh-huh. i only thought he could be funny uh-huh but he's the whole package. He could do it all. So where did, where was the idea born? I mean, because like the thing that fascinates me, like as we get into these, you know, the, what you're doing now and, and, and Breaking Bad was that, you know, the the landscape and the storyscape of this, this idea seems simple on one level. 
but you, you know the thing that made it so compelling outside of the the facts of the story was that you really didn't know what the fuck was going to happen every after every episode yeah. like every episode like was this well before we get to that agenda how did you come up with this idea what was the kernel of it you know it just I, I, i'm sure I, you've been asked that before well, no but. and it's, it's cool it's just i always i every time uh, i do get asked I, I wish i had a more satisfying answer i don't know where the idea came from i just know the minute it hit me i remember distinctly i was talking to my buddy tom schnauz I, i'd mentioned earlier yeah uh who i had met when we were both going to NYU film school. Right. And he wrote for a spinoff series of the X-Files we had called The Lone Gunman, and he uh-huh. wrote for a little bit for the X-Files. And this was like 2004, two years after the X-Files ended, and he and I were talking on the phone saying, you know, you got any work lately? Yeah. you writing work now. How about you? Nah, nothing in the offing, nothing in the pipeline. What are we going to do, man? We're, what are, we're not fit for anything else. Yeah. Another kind of work. And he... Apropos of nothing, he was just mentioning uh, something he had read in the New York Times about someone who put a who built a meth lab in a in an apartment and made some kids sick. Uh-huh. And he said, "Well, we could put a meth lab in an RV, drive around and uh, make meth, see the see the sights, he make some that. money." Yeah. yeah, he said that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, every time I tell this story, everyone who hears it says, "Wait a minute, how come how come he wasn't the creator of Breaking?" Right. How come? But I, as soon as he was pitching this, he was basically saying, "Why don't we do that? Why don't we drive around America and cook meth?" And he was joking, of yeah. course. But uh, as soon as he said that, I just had this eureka moment where I was like, because I was thinking of a of a straight arrow guy doing this, because I was picturing me doing this. And right. when I say straight arrow, I mean it in the most boring, sure. bo- most boring, right. scared of authority sense. But but that would describe Tom and I, or especially I should speak for him. It describes me, uh, you know, law abiding citizen. Why would I actually do that? Right. That intrigues me to think, is there a situation in which I would actually do that? Yeah. And then I thought, well, if I had if I had to make money for my family, I might. And uh, if I had a grounding in chemistry and had a real fi- pressing financial need because yeah. I was, say, dying of cancer. Right. And it, it was like it hit like a thunderbolt. It was like, boom. You know? Yeah. And um, that was the moment it hit. Now, where it came from. The you know I, I in hindsight hindsight being twenty twenty I was about to turn forty years old and I was uh, I was already thinking man what kind of midlife crisis am I going to have it's probably going to be a bad one mm-hmm. since I never really sowed any wild oats to begin with right. you, know, what, you know how crazy am I going to go here and luckily uh, for me I got to go crazy by proxy by writing this guy for for seven uh, six years you know this guy Walter White how does a character like that you know evolve though in the sense that because like the you know one of the the pivotal dynamics was his pride yeah and his you know not you know his very personal resentment yeah uh, against his former partner yeah well all of that stuff all that all of that juicy meaty center of the character came later this is the great thing about tv and i, I never get tired of talking about what a wonderfully collaborative medium yeah this absolutely is. yeah as as you well know and and uh as we both know it's it's and it's 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 like for instance i mean the the walter white of the pilot of yeah. breaking bad and that was the only time i ever worked on this character completely by myself uh-huh. uh i came up with this character and he was somewhat schematic somewhat mechanical in that he was basically a good guy who who needed uh, money for his family because he was dying of cancer. It was as simple as that. Right. And there was a little bit in there about him being somewhat uh, uh, jealous uh, of his 
of his uh, brother-in-law's, uh, you know, hail fellow well met abilities, and and somewhat resentful of those, and and so there's a little bit of that as as extra fuel as to why he would cook meth. His DEA brother, the brother, oh, right. the, the Hank, the right. DEA agent brother-in-law. There was a little extra fuel for the engine, uh-huh. dramatically speaking. But you didn't have the backdrop of the. Uh... I didn't have him being a prideful man. I didn't have him. Walking re- away resentful. from yeah, and, the, and one of the best moments, and then once I had these wonderful writers around me, and and and, all, and this amazing actor playing Walter White, Brian Cranston, that collaborative nature of the medium starts yeah. to kick in, and ideas start percolating that I would have never had by myself in a in a million of years. Of course, and the one of the most important moments was the fourth episode of that first season, because what I had come up with was was rather. Sc- schematic and was was going to quickly i could see the writing on the wall it was quickly quickly going to we'd be in danger of okay he makes uh he makes forty thousand dollars this week uh next week he makes uh sixty thousand dollars but you know two steps forward one step back maybe someone steals his money okay so now he's got to make another eighty thousand and very schematic like so no, I, I, no moral struggle no no struggle just, no nietzschean superman yeah and and in the fourth episode it dawned on us as a group we said to ourselves is this enough for a guy just to yeah i don't really love cooking meth but i got to make the money but but uh, you know crows stole my money and flew off and made a nest with it now i gotta make more money or Uh whatever you know all that schematic stuff what's really at this guy's heart and we had this this idea that only came from this collaborative beast that is uh the tv storytelling process which was so wonderful we came up with this moment where he we have these we introduce these two characters who are rich and good looking and and uh, run their own company and and they used to work with Walt years ago, and they find out he's dying of cancer, and they say, oh, my God, this is terrible. We're going to pay for your cancer treatment. We're going to give you a job with us, no strings attached. We love you, Walt. We care about you. And he says, no, thank you, and he goes off and he cooks meth again. But that was just the basics of it. You didn't have the backstory no, no, that, we didn't he, have any of that he was responsible for the company's success. You no, know yeah, we we had just and and the truth is, if you watch if you watch Breaking Bad again very closely, if the folks the, the the fascinating sociological thing about the characters, these two rich characters, yeah. uh, uh, Gretchen and Elliot, yeah. if you watch the show very closely, they do nothing wrong, and yet for pretty much to a man and a woman, to every viewer who's ever watched Breaking Bad sees them as as villains as bad guys who For, ri- who pushed him out who who's, who pushed him out left him in the cold stole his ideas stole his patents you know so there's you never get you don't know why he left well he you get very clearly from him that he feels wronged and abused right. but we if you watch very closely they never that's it can be very easily if you're open minded to it it, uh, it can very easily be interpreted as that was his hang up. Right. They they didn't do anything wrong. There's this there's an episode much later in the run of the series where he sits down with this woman and you realize they used to be a couple. Oh, so they used to it, date right. and something happened between them and and her interpretation of events is is it is it uh is vastly different than his. And we believe the sociologically inter- interesting thing about this is he's our hero. Come what may, no matter that he watches a young woman choke to death or on her own vomit, no matter that he that he poisons a young uh, boy with Lily of the Valley, no matter what this guy does, we we go with him. It's interesting. At some point, I I, I was like, that's that's the trick here. Yeah, is that 
this is not this is this guy should not be winning no he shouldn't and and you know but you can't help but root for him because he's got cancer and he's so fucking smart yeah and you know he's like you know he's his own guy who outsmarts everybody but it's funny you know all the way right up to the end there's plenty of people because like at some point i started sympathizing with with hank yeah yeah well, you yeah. know, which is you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 there is no as far as I'm. But they're both prideful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It absolutely. became sort of a weird moral study it, and, of everybody. And, and I wish I, I'd love to sit here and take credit for. Oh, yeah, I knew it'd be like this. And I, I, we got so lucky along the way. It was such a lightning in the bo- lightning in a bottle kind of a situation. Great writers. Well, we had we had great writers. We had great actors. Uh, and I had I had I was blessed with these great writers and actors and directors and and uh everyone was pulling the rope in the same direction but even even with all of that i didn't know i couldn't have guessed walter white would remain so sympathizable for people i i because in a weird way perversely i was trying to shake people off uh in the early going i was i was saying I wonder how bad we can make this guy before everybody just tunes out and then the show ends and then I'll find another show to do. And lo and behold, I lost sympathy for Walter White before most viewers did. If, if some people stayed with him the whole th- yeah. way through. Yeah. Well, I think that's a testament to how stable uh, uh, Cranston is at, yeah. in his work. Well, it goes back to that that first thing I ever cast him in, that that X-File episode. I needed a guy who could be villainous and mean and, and, and nasty, and yet when he when he died, you you had to have sympathy for the devil. Right. You had to Satan. feel sorry for You're him. Right. Yeah. And he pulled that off. He could and do I, it. I, I, I saw that in him. We all saw it in him in that in that uh, early audition. And and he was there was no other guy who could have played this. Now the other question I have about the specifically uh the work of it. I mean how how much because i always wonder this having you know just finished the third season of my own show yeah like i i always assume that i'm doing something wrong even though i'm working with guys in terms of like do i should i know what every season's supposed to happen do you have a bible for the entire no no if it makes you feel any better (laughs) so you didn't know the whole arc no of the series no and and let me tell you people who who know the whole arc for the series and by the way there's no one way to do this job yeah which is simultaneously what's wonderful about it and what's scary and maddening about it is 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 there's no one way to do it and there are folks who say i know the ending of my series if they if only they'll let me do it i know i know season one season two Uh there's gonna be this thing in season three and then here's how it all ends and for me if that works for you go with god that's wonderful but for me if i knew I never thought I knew, but even if I thought I knew, yeah. that that has the potential. That's the risky downside to that is there's going to be a better idea that comes along because invariably they do. Some writer, some actor, somebody, some director is going to throw an idea your way, and it's going to be better, but you're not going to be open to it because you're going to have blinders on, and you're going to say, no, no, but see, I already know how season I got five the vision, ends. Yeah. I got the vision. So there were times plenty of times i wish we knew further ahead than we did but we really were making it up as we went along and and great things came from that because we were very rigorous about consistency uh most importantly consistency visual consistency every every kind of every emotional consistency first and foremost well what you how was your how'd you cast aaron paul aaron paul uh I mean, I knew I wanted Brian in this role, but all the other uh, actors came from Bialy and Thomas. Sharon Bialy and uh, Sherry Thomas are, are, are casting 
folks. They yeah. brought in Aaron Paul, for instance, and and I was talking to Aaron in the audition, and suddenly I realized he had been in an X-File. I didn't realize that. Uh-huh. It was an X-File my friend Tom Schnauz uh, wrote yeah. a few years before that. And he's a bit of a chameleon, too, so I hadn't even recognized him. But but that was Bialy and Thomas who found him. And he came in and he auditioned. A couple of years ago, he said to me, do you remember how bad that audition was? And I said, what do you mean? He says, you remember I flubbed my lines so bad I had to start over? I said, no, you didn't do that. Because he's a, he's a sweet, he's a wonderful actor yeah. and a sweet guy who's tough on himself sometimes. I said, you're just being tough on yourself. You didn't flub the lines. And he said, I'm telling you, I did. And I said, no, no, my friend, you didn't. And then someone showed me the tape. And damned if he wasn't right, he flubs his lines so terribly in the audition. And I didn't even remember that because he was electric in this audition. He was the guy. And it didn't matter remotely to me that he didn't get the lines right. Do you hear that, actors? (laughs) It's, it's, And it's true. Yeah. You know, the tough thing. My hat is off to all actors. I I I've never done it. I couldn't. I mean, I not not in any way that counts. And I couldn't do it as a, for a living. And it's such a tough job. And and it takes so much out of you. I got to think. And it takes so much willingness to to risk defeat and risk rejection. And and so much of it is the trouble is. I, as a producer, I usually know when the actor walks in the door before they even open their mouth if they're right for the part. Uh huh. But the thing is, the reason to keep going in for those auditions from from a layperson's, from a producer's point of view, from a non-acting producer's yeah. point of view, the reason to keep doing it is that guys like me, men and women like producers like me, uh, in in my position, we we very often we love someone, we instantly know they're wrong for the role at hand, but we love them nonetheless, and we file them away, and we say as when they walk out the door, we say to the casting folks completely wrong for this role but please put an asterisk by that name and i want to see them again in the future if we have thus and so right and and that you know and that's 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 the reason one of the many reasons to keep putting yourself out there now was aaron paul was he was the plan to keep him i mean like because no originally no it was i was going to kill him i i Rather, the part of Jesse, I was going to kill the character off at the end of the first season. And this is this is one of those. You now, this is an interesting. Back to my the last question you asked me: Did I know the ending of season one? For instance, I thought I did. This is a great example right. of of being open to better ideas, because I thought I knew that at the end of season one, the character Jesse should die, having right. having fulfilled his purpose of of getting teaching him how to teaching do it. how to how to do this job. Yeah. He would get killed horribly. And Walt, that would propel us into season two because Walt would say, would feel guilty and he would feel angry at the guys who murdered his former student and he would get revenge and that would be an engine of drama for season two. But as soon as we had Aaron Paul, he was so good. He With was, the two of them. I mean, was like, Oh, and, and, and the chemistry, yeah. no, no pun intended, between right. the two of them was so outstanding that that i would have been a fool to kill off this character i would have been biting off my nose despite my face you know i thought it was a pretty beautiful bit of cinema at the very end when you showed aaron how how it ended up for aaron good well thank you you know because i've met guys like that you you meet guys where you know because i'm a recovery guy so you know you hear these stories horrible stories yeah and then they're sort of like, well, yeah, now I just do this job, and like, and they live this life, and it's, and you can go on, yeah, and yeah. you can, you know, you can put it behind you. Yeah. Uh, it was a, that was a beautiful beat. 
I'm I'm so glad. I, I you know, it, it came from as much as anything. It came from our love for Aaron and our love for the character of Jesse. And Jesse would not have been as lovely a character if not for Aaron. Right. This is yet again the collaborative nature right. of this of this business is right. of this job is that you know someone else playing him would have would have had a different path and a different ending. Uh, someone who wasn't as sweet of spirit and as and as lovely a person as Aaron Paul would have become a different character and might have been killed off sooner and might have been. But we fundamentally wanted him to survive. We, meaning the writers. Yeah, he's the only one. Yeah, and we we he, we felt, we talked about him getting killed because everything was on the table. Everything was possible uh, in those final days, final weeks and months in the writer's room. But we realized we just wanted to see him get away. Yeah. Right off into the sunset, such as it was. That was the ending. Yeah, for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, the ending of the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last yeah. thing you see, right? Last time you see him. Yeah, yeah. So, well, genius stuff, oh. and and I and I like that you give so much credit to everybody involved. It was just a you know mind blowing experience that I miss. I miss it. And I'm, thank you. I miss it too. I miss it too. <laughs> so, what what compelled you to build a series around that character, Saul? We. Well, you know Bob. You know Bob. I O'Curry. do, but like, is it a comedy? It's, uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's. I thought it was. Well, you know what? The best way of putting it is uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, I thought it was a drama with a little bit of comedy in it. Yeah. When we started this, uh, Peter Gould and I thought Better Call Saul would be the flip of it. We thought it'd be a comedy with a little bit of drama. There's actually much more drama. Just like there was much more comedy to Breaking Bad than I ever would have guessed, there was much more drama to Better Call Saul than I ever would have guessed. But but it it, it uh, the genesis of it stemmed uh, from uh, loving working with. And I should say, I, as I was about to say, to loving working with Bob Odenkirk, and that is true. But that in and of in and of itself doesn't answer the question because I love working with Aaron Paul. I yeah. love working with. Right. Uh, you know uh, Betsy Brandt and 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 Dean Norris and and uh, Anna Gunn and yeah. R.J. Mitty. Any of them I would have loved. I want to work with in the future. Mm-hmm. But also with the character of Saul Goodman, he is he is fun to generate dialogue for. Yeah. He has such a gift of gab that most of us don't possess, and and it's fun putting those words in his mouth. That was part of the fun of it, and part of the interest in it initially. And also, there's a. a, a be- you know, someone who becomes morally challenged and somehow, you know, compromises himself yeah. and has to justify that. Yeah. Although having said that, we had so little, It's it, I'm embarrassed to say how little understanding we had of Saul Goodman, when Peter and I, when we started talking about uh-huh. doing a spinoff series. Uh-huh. We didn't realize that he was a nice guy and somewhat heroic, in fact, in, in his past. We didn't know any you of that discovered about that. We discovered it as we went. You know, as a group, as a group of writers, and and but with Bob's help as an actor portraying the character. Well, it's so. great, man. You're off to a good start. I'm excited about the uh, the second season. Thank you, thank you, Mark. So you're writing that now? We are uh, uh, halfway through uh, episode five out of ten episodes, uh, break breaking the story, and the writers of those episodes are plugging away. And uh, yeah, we'll be shooting through the summer and into the into the fall. Okay, well, if you want, if you need me in Albuquerque for a bit part, you let me know. Anytime you're in town, please let us know. We would love to have you come visit. We'd love to put you on the show. Okay, I'll do it. Do you get back? Do you get back to Albuquerque? Yeah, 
my dad's there when we're getting along i go back all right yeah yeah you know, I'll, I'll come out i'll just i'll plan my trip around when you're shooting and be like hey vince i'm right. coming down for as long as you need me <laughs> right on man I would, we would love that we'd be honored i'd love to work with bob that'd be a blast he, he's great and thanks for taking time from the writing process to do this i appreciate it thanks for having me mark great guy right right that was i lying love it what a great conversation okay yeah wtfpod.com for that merch and the dates and everything else some of you missed my guitar playing i found that very touching so let's do it